Good evening. I'm Denise Chapman, and welcome to Inside Studio 54 and more. Sending my first track out tonight to Bridget and Clara. You did it. You made it happen.
1982, I'm so excited, The Pointer Sisters, a dance floor favorite at studio, written by The Pointer Sisters with Trevor Lawrence, produced by one of the greatest producers of all time, Richard Perry. If you have danced at a wedding, office party, bar mitzvah, quince, in a club, or anywhere on this planet with a dance floor and a DJ in the last 45 years, I guarantee you my friend Bobby Eli played guitar on most of those songs you danced to. Bobby passed on in his sleep August 17th, just a few weeks ago, leaving behind his beloved wife, soulmate, and writing partner, Vonnie White. And he left behind hundreds of tracks that he either played on, wrote, arranged, or produced, like this dance floor favorite.
1979, This Time Baby, Jackie Moore Singing, produced by Bobby Eli. Bobby was in New York City and stopped by Studio 54 early one Wednesday evening during our Jerry Rubin networking salon. We were standing at the main bar and DJ Federico Gonzalez played Too Late for Goodbyes. Bobby turned and smiled from ear to ear, and he said to me, Man, I really like this record. Did you know that that's Toots Thielman's playing harmonica on this track? Man, it has a good feel. A nice groove, right? I responded, Bobby, I fell in love with this song halfway through the first time I heard it on MTV. This track will always remind me of Bobby Eli because of the Toots Thielman's harmonica conversation we had that night, but also it's one of the songs I've been looping in the last few days following Bobby leaving Earth. This track has now taken on a whole new meaning for me. This one's for you, Bobby. You're right. It all goes by so fast. And then, before you know it, it's too late for goodbyes.
1984, Too Late for Goodbyes, Julian Lennon. Julian is accompanied on this track by the master of the chromatic harmonica, the great Gene Toots Thielmans. He played with Oscar Peterson and Dizzy Gillespie. Toots played on the soundtrack for the 1969 film classic Midnight Cowboy. He was also an accomplished guitarist, which ties in Bobby Eli and Norman Harris. The Beatles' John Lennon switched to a solid-body Rickenbacker 325 guitar after seeing Toots play in Germany with the George Shearing Quartet, which explains the connection with Julian Lennon. Toots once said, and I quote, My sound is somewhere in that little space between a smile and a tear, end quote. That's the bittersweet I'm talking about for me in this track. Okay, you are here with me, yours truly, Denise Chapman, Inside Studio 54 and more. I'm taking you back to the early 60s now when The Pill, coupled with Helen Gurley Brown's 1962 book Sex and the Single Girl, created the perfect storm for what lay ahead, the sexual revolution. The book sold two million copies in its first three weeks on the shelves of America's bookstores. It challenged the very core of the American family. The author encouraged women to become financially independent of men, experience fun with sex before settling down to marriage and having children, and perhaps even opt out of marriage altogether. The pill gave women a choice. It was liberating, radical, and many will argue it was the beginning of the end of the family as we had always known it. The Stonewall Riot of 1969 in Greenwich Village changed the dating game even more by advancing the cause for gays and lesbians. Shortly after the riot at the Stonewall, a New York City law struck down it was no longer a crime for two people of the same sex to dance together in public where alcohol was served. I hung out at the Stonewall many a night back then because it was all about the jukebox. If you liked to dance and have a drink back in the 60s, a bar with a jukebox was it. And may I say the selection at the Stonewall was outstanding. Great dance music and great ballads. Meanwhile, straight women everywhere were celebrating the pill and a newfound joy in sex. Unwanted pregnancies were a thing of the past. It was the time and the decade of free love. People were free to love whomever, whenever, and wherever they pleased without attachment or commitment or risk of unwanted pregnancy. The dating game was changed forever. This next track rocked the dance floor at Stonewall and every dance floor across America. The drag queens loved it. It was the Isley Brothers. I give you this classic from 1964.
1964, That Lady, Part 1, by the Isley Brothers. I remember a few years later in 1973 or 4, walking into Nepenthe one night, one of the hottest clubs in Manhattan, and there, holding court in the middle of it all, was Frankie Crocker, the Isley Brothers, and O.J. Simpson. And the only white boy in the mix, in the middle of it, was Mark Fleischman. <laughs> Oh, I miss him. The DJ played the original Who's That Lady? I know DJ Bobby Gordon played in Nepenthe during that time period, but I don't know if he was playing that night because we hadn't met yet. Whoever it was, it was wild. The music absolutely rocked. And then Keith Richards walked in with Anita Pallenberg. We must not forget that Jimi Hendrix cut his teeth playing with the Isley Brothers. So there you go, baby. The year is 1968. After dancing for Mark Fleischman at his club, The Candy Store, I saw an ad Dancers Wanted at the Ginza. I showed up for the audition, and I was devastated when I wasn't chosen. I needed the money. As I told you, my family was pressuring me to enroll at the University of Miami come the fall, and I didn't want to go, so I had to save up money to pay my own rent. I was trying to get the cigarette machine to work and crying a bit when this guy came up behind me 
I had no idea who he was. And he put his hand over mine and pulled the lever on the machine a certain way, and bingo, my red and white pack of Marlboros came flying out. Then he whispered in my ear, You didn't stand a chance. The one they chose, with, you know, the one with the big tits, she's doing the owner. What? I turned around and I looked at him for a moment, processing what he had just said to me. And then I burst out laughing and threw my arms around his neck and I kissed him. (laughs) That was the first time I laid eyes on the one and only very talented DJ, David Rodriguez. The doors light my fire was playing throughout this hole, and then I turned around and he was gone. It turns out this was probably the only afternoon in David Rodriguez's life that he ever played records, but he was doing it at the Ginza, and we laughed about it years later when we met up again for the second time at Les Jardins, and from that moment on, we were joined at the hip. Whether you were dancing at Club Arthur the Ginza, Le Club, Shepherds, or Stonewall. This next record was heard around the world. It spoke psychedelic rock. It was a new kind of arrangement, a new sound, Baroque pop. More than anything, it spoke to the sexual revolution. There was no other sound like it. Think about it. No one sounded like the doors, the guitars. Everything was just different. If any record captures the mindset, the rhythm, the essence, the angst, and the joy of that time period in the 60s, it was this one. You know that it would be untrue You know that I would be a liar If I was to say to you Girl, we couldn't get much higher Come on, baby, light my fire Come on, baby, light my fire Try to set the night on fire The time to hesitate is through The time to wallow in the mire Try now, we can only lose and our love become a funeral pyre Come on baby, light my fire Come on baby, light my fire Try to set the night on fire
No time to wallow in the mire Try now we can only lose And our love become a funeral pyre Come on baby, light my fire Come on baby, light my fire Try to set the night on Nineteen sixty-seven. That was "Light My Fire" by The Doors. It was recorded in nineteen sixty-six because um, they just—I—I I think they don't know—they didn't know what to do with it. I mean, it was the lyric "Girl, We Couldn't Get Much Higher" that was problematic for them, and uh, I think they were worried that—I think Electra was worried that maybe radio wouldn't play it. It was a different time back then. It really was. Jim Morrison wrote it, Robbie Krieger, John Densmore, and Ray Manzarek. They did release it in 67, and it went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and stayed there for three weeks. I love the guitars on that track. In the late 60s, early 70s, Trader Vic's at the Plaza Hotel was often where Mark and many others would begin their evenings out in New York City. It was my favorite, for sure. You entered through a door down the stairs on the Central Park south side of the Plaza Hotel. The minute you walked in, you immediately got that Polynesian vibe, like somewhere off an exotic valley. The thatched roof over the bar, spears, carved masks, fire-burning torches everywhere, and an enormous dugout canoe from Marlon Brando's film Mutiny on the Bounty. It was in the center of it all. It truly was otherworldly. We all loved the deadly rum-laden scorpions, a guaranteed aphrodisiac for women, served with a fresh gardenia floating on the top. It was one of Johnny Carson's favorite hangout places after hosting The Tonight Show. I remember seeing Patassa there often. Patassa was a transvestite, tall, exotic, and absolutely gorgeous. She was a regular in the entourage of world-famous artist Salvador Dali. She was known to travel around town with him. Dali always had a lot of quote-unquote women with him. Trader Vic's was his favorite bar to begin his forays into the night. He and his girls loved the Scorpions. Years later, when I worked at studio, they would all arrive with fresh gardenias in their hair a telltale sign of where they had been. Uh, 
That was from 1994, 90 Degrees in the Shade, Heavy Shift. Love that group. Okay, I'm going to take you now inside Studio 54, the book that I co-wrote with Mark and Mimi Fleischman, and I'm going to read to you from page 88. Mick Jagger was a regular in my office at studio. He was very fond of my assistant, Hilary Clark. Both of them were from England, and they entertained us regularly, serenading us with songs from their homeland, especially the songs people sing every November 5th on Bonfire Night. Film producer Lester Persky would howl with laughter when Mick and Hillary would put on these various skits. Sometimes they were joined by People magazine writer Peter Lester, another Brit. I remember one night after being entertained by Mick and Hillary, the delight and laughter from Diane von Furstenberg as she watched a very happy Liza Minnelli teaching Goldie Hawn some new dance moves. Later that evening, Liza invited everyone back to her apartment to see Judy Garland's red sequin shoes from The Wizard of Oz, which she kept on display. This next track, from 1983, will always remind me of that night with Liza and Dorothy's red shoes.
1983, that was Let's Dance, David Bowie, a Nile Rodgers production. There was a method to Mark's madness in managing it all. Mark always carried several 3x5 index cards in his pocket to jot down notes, ideas, and observations. No matter how fucked up high Mark got, he was always taking notes. Upon awakening each day, Mark and his assistant, Victoria Leacock, would review his scribbles, which he always somehow understood the next day, and then categorize them accordingly. People told Mark many times over the years, myself included, that his note-taking inspired them to do the same. Years later, when I was working at Logos and Promotions, we designed a stunning 3x5 black leather business card case with the MTV logo embossed in gold on the front. MTV gave it out to their VIP clients at holiday time. Mark was delighted when years later I told him the design was inspired by him. I know I'm jumping around here in, you know, in time, but I just, I was just taking you into the, I was just in the 60s with you, but when I saw 1983 with David Bowie and um, the track that I just played a little while ago, it just took me back, and I can't stop thinking about 1983 was a rough year because Mark was so fucked up on drugs. When Mark Fleischman, owner of Studio 54, first approached me about doing a podcast based on the book we wrote together, Mark was determined, he was determined to do it, and he wanted my participation, and he knew exactly what to say to make that happen. He said, Denise, let's do a podcast. I'll do the interviews, and you can play all the music. I jumped in. Mark passed away on July 13th of 2022. And so here I am, alone. And I give you David Morales and John Rakinen. I love this track.
My closing track tonight is a classic from the year 1959 by the great Della Reese, an American jazz and gospel singer, actress, ordained minister. Her career spans seven decades. It all began when she scored a huge hit with her 1959 single, Don't You Know. She hosted her own talk show, Della. She starred in films opposite Red Fox, Martin Lawrence, and Elliot Gould. She enjoyed continued success in the television drama Touched by an Angel. She played the leading role of Tess. Well, it's that time, time for me to say goodnight, and thank you for joining me this evening inside Studio 54 and more. I'm sending this Della Reese classic out to Bobby Eli. It was adapted from an aria from Puccini's opera La Boheme. It was one of Bobby's favorite songs. From me to you, Bobby, and to Vani, and to all of you, listen and enjoy. in love with you for the rest of my whole life through Don't you know I was yours from the very day that you happened to come my way your spell by the look in my eyes can't you tell can't you tell now don't you know every beat of my heart keeps crying I want you so Don't you know